Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Cara. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to start today's two-part series all about anatomy. We get a lot of questions about basic body parts and naming and how you define them, how we define them. So we're just going to jump in and we're going to talk about the body parts in a genetic female today. So someone born with two X chromosomes. And then we'll have a separate episode that covers the body parts of a genetic male, someone born with an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. I love your perky approach to the XXXY. If only my biology teachers had had such enthusiasm, I think it would have been a little more interesting. (laughs) It's a function of it being 2022, almost 2023 when we're recording this. And a real awareness of the fact that the body parts that people are born with, the genetics that they have, and their gender might be really different. And we'll get into that in a separate episode. But the frame for this is really about the parts that a person is born with and how to label them. And frankly, for someone who doesn't have those parts to know how to label the parts on another person, right? This naming is very, very important across the board, no matter what you have or don't have. So do we want to start 
on the outside and go in? Or do we want to start on the inside and work our way out? Feels to me like outside in is probably the most relatable because when we're starting with young kids, it's mostly the outsides that we're describing at first. And as kids get older and the conversations get more complicated, we start talking about internal organs more clearly and frequently. So go for it, Vanessa. Vanessa's favorite topic. She's like a kid in a candy store right now. I wish she could see her. Vanessa's favorite topic is... Well, is it vaginal discharge? Is that what no. we're going to Vulva. The difference between a vulva and a vagina. So when we grew up, people talked about vaginas. If you were lucky, people talked to you about vaginas. But even those of us living in homes that were filled with oversharing, people did not talk about vulvas. And they certainly didn't break down the parts of the vulva. So we're going to do that because there is a difference between a vulva and a vagina. The opening to the vagina is considered part of the vulva area, but they're not the same thing. So we'll start with the labia, which does that mean lips in Latin? Yes. And maybe we could just start with a quick checklist of what is contained in the vulva. So the vulva is external. It's just the parts on the outside of a body that has two X chromosomes, right? And the list of things included in the vulva are, Vanessa, you want to list them? The labia majora, the larger lips on the outside, the labia minora, the smaller, thinner lips on the inside. The clitoris, which what can be seen is just a little pea size organ, but it's actually like a wishbone shape underneath. And we'll we'll get into into that. Don't worry. I just was like so excited because there's all (laughs) these great drawings and clitorises on Instagram. The opening to the vagina. And technically the anus is not part of the vulva, but when we teach people about the vulva, we do teach about the anus because we explain to kids that in addition to that, there is the urethra, which is where the pee comes out. And so we say to kids, if you are XX, you have three holes because people, not just kids, adults too, get confused about which hole is which. So if we're going front to back, the holes front to back, right, which is the way you should wipe if you have a vulva and a vagina, it's urethra opening to the vagina anus. That's hole one, hole two, hole three. And I think the other way to frame why we talk about the anus is it's a landmark, right? So (laughs) (laughs) it really is. Turn right at the anus. (laughs) Pretty much. So if you've hit the anus, you're not in the vulva anymore, right? So that's the list. The labia majora, the labia minora, and then the clitoris, the urethra, and the vaginal opening or orifice. That's another word for vaginal opening. And that's the external genitalia in an XX body. Okay, now let's explain. Let's start with the labia. Yes, it means lips. That's the literal translation, lips. Let's talk about what the labia majora and the labia minora are. How do you tell them apart? And why is it important that there are two pairs of these lips? So the labia majora are the larger 
outside lips and the skin is more like the skin on the rest of our bodies. It's just kind of like normal epidermis. Do you like that? Very Um, nice. The labia minora, which are the lips inside of the labia majora. So the second set of lips are made of tissue that feels more like the area around the vagina. It's thinner, it's more sensitive, it has more folds. And as we often say, it's like a snowflake or they're like snowflakes in which no two are the same. So people's labias don't look the same as someone else's labias. And even the two sides of a labia don't necessarily look identical to each other. They're not necessarily symmetrical. And this can be worrying to people. Sometimes people's labia minora may show up a little bit past the labia majora. They hang out further. They hang out further. So they don't always stay tucked inside. And that can be worrying or confusing to people, but that is normal. So the labia majora, majora, major, bigger, those lips look more like the lips on your face. They are rounder, puffier, and sort of have more of it. When we say lips, it's what most people imagine in their mind's eye. The labia minora tend to be more, a little more triangular shape, right? They kind of meet at a little peak. It's, as you described, Vanessa, it's thinner tissue and they're much smaller, right? They're minor, minora. So they're much, much smaller and the tissue feels more sensitive. And you're 110% right. They look different from person to person and they can look different side to side on one person. And the color of the labia majora and labia minora can also be different from person to person and within a person. So sometimes the labia majora, the ones on the outside, take on the color of your skin more closely. And the labia minora, the ones inside, can look sometimes darker and more pigmented or pinker and less pigmented. It's really different for different people. The fact that we're having this conversation is so remarkable to me because I had a pretty progressive sex education when I was in high school and no one ever would have talked about what labia look like and how it makes people feel. So it's really interesting that in just one generation, we've gone from not even acknowledging what these things look like to having a full conversation about the appearance and frankly, the related conversation about how people may feel about the appearance of these labia. There's been a lot of wonderful growth in this area, but I will also say that thanks to a lot more watching of porn and availability of porn and people seeing other people's naked vulvas, there's also concern about what people's own vulvas look like. And there is now a trend among certain people to have labiaplasty, which is plastic surgery to make their vulvas look smaller, more symmetrical, and all of that. Well, and can I be clear? When you say thanks to porn, you're not grateful to porn. Yeah, that was was sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If I ever say thanks to porn, I'm just going to make a blanket (laughs) statement for the Puberty Podcast. If I ever say thanks to porn, I'm not like genuinely thanking (laughs) porn. I'm doing it in a sarcastic way. So wink, wink. 
thanks to the proliferation of porn and adolescents and young adults seeing it and then looking at their own genitalia and thinking that they are falling short, even when their bodies are completely normal as they are, there is a trend towards people having surgery. Car, are there times when people with vulvas and vaginas where it's a medical concern about having surgery on their vulvas? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are always medical outliers where there are examples of things on the body that there's a range of normal and sometimes someone is living either on the end of the range of normal or right outside of the range of normal and a body part, any body part can need some attention, some medical attention because an issue is limiting your life experience, your ability to either do a daily activity or to do something you really enjoy. And so there's that. I can't for the life of me right now think of a labial reason why you would be limited in your life, but I'm sure there is one and I would love to hear from a listener who has one. There are always examples of things like that. There's also the self-esteem issue. So in medicine in general, and it gets really tricky in pediatrics, but in medicine in general, we talk about plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery, as something that fundamentally impacts self-esteem. And so I am an advocate of doing all the things that one can to maximize their mental health. That generally doesn't rely upon surgery, but in some circumstances, it certainly can. In the most extreme cases, you can think about someone who needs reconstructive plastic surgery, and we would never judge that, right? Of course, that is something that is going to change their experience in the world if they've been in a terrible accident, had a burn, and their plastic surgery is reconstructing. On the other end of that spectrum is often this sort of cosmetic plastic surgery that is going to make a person feel noticeably different, right? And so we all must be careful about judging that. But that being said, I want to tie it all back together to the comment you made about porn. So the reason why porn has had such influence here is twofold. The first is that there are cameras in people's vulvas. I mean, not in them, but on them, right? There is a much larger database of visuals of vulvas than ever before. I think I'm going to write a country music song called <laughs> The Camera the on camera, My Vulva. The Camera on My Vulva. <laughs> the other is there's much less hair in pornography. Yeah, let's, we got to talk about the hair. Because when people remove, partially or entirely remove their pubic hair, the vulva look different. First of all, you see much more, right? It's like the guy who you've always known who has a beard and then like all of a sudden he shaves his beard and you're like, Wait a second. I don't recognize you. Like, who is this person? So for some people who have had hair on their vulvas, all of a sudden they take the hair off, they wax it, they shave it. All of a sudden it's like, oh, who are you? I don't recognize you. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. 
Designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at bioptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. 
You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. There is one more organ in the vulva that we need to talk about before we move internal. And that is the clitoris. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Making her grand entrance onto the podcast. It's the clitoris. So what's amazing about the clitoris is that it is the only organ in the entire body with the sole function of making you feel good. That's amazing, right? That's it. That's its entire job. It's just a concentrated bunch of nerve endings. And when you see a picture of a clitoris in a textbook or on social media where people are starting to really try to educate everyone about body parts, it is drawn to look like a little P, P-E-A-P, that it is at the intersection of the vulva, sort of where the labia minora come together. So it's like these two inner lips come together and there's this round thing where they meet and that is the clitoris. But actually inside the body, the clitoris extends deeply and Vanessa loves the shape, right? It's like a wishbone. It is like a wishbone. Literally is like a wishbone. Figuratively Um, and literally. But (laughs) anatomically, it's actually related to the penis. It's very similar erectile tissue. So in the same way that a penis can get firm and engorged and large, so too can the clitoris. And so too does the clitoris. It's very similar. And so when I was training in my residency, one of the things that we learned a lot about was because we would declare gender in a delivery room, which we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but it was really a very heavy burden mm-hmm. for pediatricians and is no longer done. Now you are declared your sex, but not your gender. Very mm. Big difference, right? But when I was in a delivery room, you would look at the genitalia and there were cases where there was what looked like either a very small penis or a very large clitoris, and it would sometimes be hard to tell. And there are a bunch of medical reasons this can happen. And sometimes, you know, that organ shrinks down and then you say, oh, yep, this is a clearly a clitoris. And sometimes, you know, it becomes very clear. There are testicles there. It's clearly a penis, but it's the same origin tissue, which explains a lot about the feeling good, right? We actually had an intern write, interview someone about the parent having a sex ed conversation and the parent had all the best intentions and some of the right information, but they basically told their kid that their clitoris is like a penis. And while the intentionality behind that, that it can feel good, that it brings pleasure, that it gets engorged, that was all great. It was very confusing to the recipient of that information. So that is confusing because the penis is an organ that is a part of a body 
that is genetically male, XY, and inside the penis runs the urethra. Okay, remember clitoris, we described the urethra where the pee comes out as being next to the clitoris in the genetic female body. In the genetic male body, the urethra runs through the penis. And the urethra not only carries urine, but once that body goes through puberty, also carries semen. So the mix of sperm and other fluids when a person ejaculates. So it connects the testicles, the sperm making factories with the outside world. That is totally, totally different than what the clitoris does. And one of the things that I like to spend a lot of time talking about to Cara's great boredom. <laughs> I actually don't know what you're going to say here because there are so, there's, there's there's so list, many things that I bore like you six things. <laughs> Is that it's really important that we teach people with clitorises that they have a part of their body whose only job is to make them feel good. It relieves touching your clitoris and orgasm can relieve stress. It can help with period cramps. There's all sorts of actually not just biological, but psychological benefits. But there's a real taboo around talking to people with clitorises and vaginas about masturbation and what feels good in their I bodies. I have never heard of masturbation as a therapy for period cramps. That's so interesting. Really? Yes. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, see, I learned something gonna, day. As soon as we're done, she's going to get I'm like seriously <laughs> looking it up right now. <laughs> Stay tuned for the show notes. One of us is a doctor <laughs> and one of us isn't. So that's the vulva. Okay, that's the vulva. (laughs) I wish you could see Cara because she's like, has her hands outspread, like great jazz hands. Like, that's the vulva. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is the vulva. That's the vulva. And that is only what we see on the outside. It is important before we finish talking about anatomy of a genetic female that we go internal and walk through the organs that are there or that should be there. And I say that should be there because we have an amazing episode on this podcast with a young woman who was born without a uterus and otherwise has all the other parts that go along with being XX. And so I think it's very important to sort of point out that there's what we expect to be there and then what is or isn't there for some people. And we're going to explain these internal reproductive organs, but we're going to do a separate episode about the physiological function of these organs because this actually takes a really long time and it's super fun and interesting and we don't want to sell it short. (laughs) Vanessa knows it takes a really long time because we we just turned in a book. And it's like going back to ninth grade biology, the chapter on how the brain talks to the ovaries, talks to the uterus, it was a long chapter. It's and a very busy conversation inside your body. Inside your body. But let's go in from the vulva. And so remember we said that the vaginal opening, also known as the vaginal orifice, is a significant part of the vulva. It's actually probably the, the biggest part. That and the labia minora are sort of the biggest parts, physically biggest parts of the vulva. That vaginal opening is, think about it as sort of, I don't know, what is the best analogy, Vanessa? Because the vagina is a long, oval, almost like a cylindrical structure that extends all the way up inside. It's it's a muscle. And yeah, 
it's a muscle. It's not a single size. It expands and contracts like other muscles. I, I forgive me. I hope this isn't a terrible analogy. Yeah. I sort of think of it if you had like a toilet paper tube. You know, once you finish the roll of toilet paper. And it's actually it's, a good analogy. So you're talking about what that blunt end is on the end of your toilet paper tube. Yes. The vaginal opening or the vaginal orifice. That's the hole. And then the tube itself extends long inside. Is the vagina, except the difference is that the vagina expands and contracts. It's made of a very soft tissue that's... Yes. It is not crinolated. made of cardboard. It's not made of cardboard. <laughs> is, that the, is that a word? Crinolated? Sounds like a sewing word. I mean, there's a crinoline, crinolated. Anyways, you guys will let us know if that's actually a word. And it can get as big to fit a baby's head to come out of it or can be really narrow and can contract to a really narrow width. And it doesn't just willy-nilly get big and small. I mean, this is a very... <laughs> you imagine? So Cara, it doesn't expand and contract willy-nilly. <laughs> Thank you for making that clear. And then at the top of the vagina. Yeah, so now we're moving inward, further inward, right? Yep. And at the top of the vagina, the top section of the vagina is called the cervix. And it's this, it was always described in medical school as a cap. I don't know that that is really the right description of it because when you picture a cap, you picture like a jar with a lid on it. Mm -hmm. And the cervix doesn't exactly look like a lid. Isn't it like a, not literally a sphincter, but more like something that opens and closes? It is the narrow top part of the vagina, the sort of most internal part of the vagina that is, it functions like a cap when a person is pregnant. So when a person is pregnant and there is a fetus growing in this uterus, the uterus needs all the help it can get holding that fetus in. So it has muscular support from, you know, its own muscular support. It's got the pelvic floor. It's got all these things, but this cervical cap, right, which is the top part of the vagina really helps tremendously in keeping a fetus inside the uterus. And then when it's time to deliver a baby, you know, you hear the phrase, how dilated are you? Mm -hmm. That's how dilated the cervix is. That's the cervix slowly opening and saying, yes, baby's head, you may come through now, or, you know, baby, you may come out now. So I would think of it more like a sphincter and less like a lid that is on top of something. And it's not technically considered a sphincter, like the top of your stomach or in your anus, but it's more like, um, Oh, you know what's a good analogy, Cara? Uh, when you have a camera and the what's the thing that opens and closes the shutter? The aperture. The aperture. We yeah. sound so technical. We um, sound like morons. <laughs> 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 okay, so we have the cervix, and then does the cervix? Have... So now we're going to keep going up, right? Okay, so we'll so keep we're... going up, and the cervix can have. I know when you're pregnant, there's like a mucus plug, and there's other stuff there. Ordinarily, is that stuff there? Yes. So. Okay. Any person who experiences any sort of cyclical shifts in their female anatomy, I don't even know what to call it because it happens before people get periods. It happens dependent upon a period cycle, but also somewhat independent. You get this, it almost looks like the mucus in your nose when you're allergic, that thin, very watery, as you like to call it, raw egg white 
the white of the raw egg white, stringy, that mucus, which is typical of vaginal discharge during certain times in a menstrual cycle, especially around ovulation, that mucus gets much more voluminous and much thicker and stringier. And people will see a much larger clump of it in their underwear, or they'll go to the bathroom and they'll have this like drippy stringy thing hanging out of them. Right. And everyone who's listening who goes, Oh, I didn't know that was normal. It's totally normal. Right. It's normal. <laughs> it's totally normal. Talk to your kids about it. Exactly. And that is produced to provide sort of an extra layer of protection during the period where the body is most likely to get pregnant. It's like, it's an amazing sort of song and dance between ovulation. We'll get into that in a different episode, but how when you ovulate, then the cervical mucus, it's called the cervical mucus plug sometimes when, especially in pregnancy, when that you, you know, you drop your cervical mucus plug and then that's a sign maybe your water's going to break soon you know, all of these things act in concert. So now we're going up, we've gone vulva, up the vagina, we've passed the cervix and we've entered the uterus. And the uterus is, as we've described, it's an organ where one day a fetus may grow, maybe not. It's about the size of a closed fist. Now, all of us have different size I have, fists. <laughs> I have a different metaphor. <laughs> yes, Vanessa. <laughs> well, I don't like the closed fist because it feels... Angry? Yeah, it feels like aggressive, like I'm going to get in a fight. And I like to think of the uterus as like a sort of joyful, expansive <laughs> place. Carl's like shaking her head. So I once had my friend and fellow sex educator and health educator, Sue Steinberg, refers to it as an upside down pear. Which is great because pears like fists come in all shapes and sizes. Come in all shapes and, and sizes. The problem is when you say that to kids, some kids are like, but I don't like pears. Or they're like, <laughs> I like the green ones, but I don't like the red ones. And then you're like, okay, I got to come up with another. (laughs) By the way, when you're doing basic anatomical teaching, which really should happen by fourth grade, okay? Because as we know, puberty is beginning earlier and earlier. Many of these kids are starting to see changes in their bodies by the time they are eight, nine, 10. So it's really helpful to give them these conversations by the time they're in about fourth grade. That is it precisely when they go down the rabbit hole of what color pair, what <laughs> shape pair, what flavor pair, and what, they're allergic to pear. So the <laughs> way the, thing. the way to redirect the pear conversation is to actually help them imagine where on their bodies, where in their bodies, if they are someone who is believed to have a uterus, is to help them figure out where in their their bellies they would refer to it as where it is. So. What we like to do is we tell kids to stand up and put their thumbs facing each other. So tip to tip of their thumbs on their belly buttons and then have them point their hands downward towards their toes. And it creates like a little square on their abdomen. And we help them imagine that within that square is where their uterus and the other reproductive organs are because it's hard for kids when we talk about body parts that they cannot see and cannot feel and it helps them feel connected to whatever is going on inside. 
And I'm going to add that the reason why I hold tight, no pun intended, to the fist metaphor is that (laughs) when we talk about periods and the Mm. shedding of the uterine lining, when we describe to kids how much blood and tissue there is, we say it's only as much as you could really hold in your fist. It's only three, four tablespoons. Or in a carved out pair. Or in a carved out. We never say that. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you were serving an hors d'oeuvre at your dinner party and you carved out a pair and put some menstrual fluid in it. Super effective. (laughs) This is excellent. I am going to make that for dessert tonight. Um, So... That's the uterus. It means it takes poached pear to another level. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone wondered why I really like working with Vanessa, (laughs) here it is. She's she's in a fit of laughter on the other side. Oh my God. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so closed fist, open fist. Cara's moving on to fallopian tubes. I'm moving on to fallopian tubes because while fallopian tubes do not have an excellent food analog, maybe spaghetti. No, a drinking straw, but they're flexible. I know you don't like it, but it's a good visual. Vanessa likes the visual of drinking straw because what I want you to imagine is your uterus is the size and shape of your closed fist slash pear (laughs) and coming out almost like two ears or antlers coming out are these two, one on each side tubes that are very small and very flexible. And they're not the size of a straw. They're smaller than a straw. Bucatini. They're Bucatini. If you are a pasta aficionado, (laughs) they are like Bucatini, which is a pasta that has a hole in the middle. It's like a spaghetti with a hole in the middle. And it's very, it's thicker. Than regular spaghetti. It's thicker than regular spaghetti. This is true. And I feel so much better now. Thank you. Yes. And something could move (laughs) down the middle. So I think we've agreed cooked bucatini is our, (laughs) not raw, but cooked bucatini is our analogy for fallopian tubes. Those are the tubes that go from the uterus out to each ovary, the right and the left. And the ovaries, uh, this is always amazing to me, are the size and shape of almonds. So I always picture ovaries bigger than that. And they can be bigger than that, but they are really, generally speaking, especially when we're talking to kids at the front end of puberty, we're talking about two very powerful almonds. That's amazing. Mostly because of the way you pronounce almonds. Also like the whole pear bucatini <laughs> almond thing happening here. I think we should make a female reproductive organ dish that's okay. bucatini with slivered almonds and sliced pears and and a vulva. Well, and stracciatella because that's like the vaginal discharge. We're going to we're going to do that. Now, my favorite 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 fact about the female reproductive system is that a genetic female with two ovaries is born with all of the eggs they will ever have in their body. And that is anywhere from a million to three million. Okay. So eggs. two gigantic asterisks on that yeah, comment. I'm the about first to be is, corrected. You're not. Yes. You're not. You're, <laughs> I'm going to be more inclusive of the definition. Even if you're born with one ovary, you're born with all the eggs. But are you born with? 
that many eggs or are you well, born with half the, the number of eggs? the other asterisk is the body is designed to have all of these potential mm. sort of growths, right? So the primordial, what might turn into an ovulated egg, okay? That number is far larger than the actual egg. Sperm, tens of thousands are produced every single day. Eggs, a total of 400 are ovulated over a lifetime. So there are many more cells that could turn into ova or eggs over time. But generally speaking, the average is that a genetic female will ovulate a total of 400 over the course of their reproductive lifespan. And by the time they start menstruating, there are more like 300,000 potential eggs in their ovaries, you right? You know then it gets so much more down. about these numbers than I do. Because, because I love numbers, it. Yeah, the numbers are amazing. And kids love it. I mean, this is the coolest part about teaching kids about this stuff is like when you tell them, first of all, the ovaries hold microscopic eggs, right? So you want to make it clear to kids when you use the term egg, it's not like the hard-boiled egg they have well, I for mean, breakfast. It's coming out of an almond. Right. Like, let's put it all in context. And it's important to give them. We have the to add eggs to the dish. You yes. have to add rock eggs. salt. Um, we have a, a piece of rock salt. It is important to recognize so many parts of the body are developed this way or designed this way. So, babies are born with so many neurons in their brain that are going to eventually die away and not turn into functional neurons that are part of what happens when we think and act and move. Likewise, we are born with many, many more cells that could become OVA than actually do. And it is incredible. And it teaches you, if you teach kids nothing else, it teaches them that the body's a temple. If all of the starting materials are there, then we need to treat it with respect because it's not like we can abuse our bodies and then boom, 20 years from now, the body's going to reinvent something brand new once we decide to get healthy and put it out into our universe later. The eggs, the potential eggs that are in the body are there from birth. And so it gives kids sort of a motivator to think about not just the health for themselves, but the health for their future bodies and maybe future bodies that might come from them, that everything they put into and onto their bodies is part of this journey. And you don't want to create anxiety about it and you don't want to put the cart before the horse, but it is a very interesting thing. And it's specific to genetic females. Genetic males for decades were taught, you make sperm, you make them new all the time. If you abuse the body, 10 years from now, those sperm are long gone. Don't worry about it. There are future sperm that we'll get into this when we get into the male reproductive tract because that statement is not true. There's something called epigenetics, which is sort of all of the environmental factors that impact the way the body changes and develops. And those epigenetic factors play out over time so that something that you do when you're 15, 20, 25 may in fact impact the sperm that you make when you're 30, 35, 40. But in the genetically female body, it's much more tangible than that. And just a reminder, we mentioned it earlier, but it's important to say again, that this is the sort of general expectation, but there are a lot of exceptions to the rule about what organs people have, 
what those organs can and cannot do, whether they function as expected, whether they, you know, cause pain when they shouldn't cause pain or cause more bleeding than they should. And we'll get into that in the episode around menstruation and ovulation. But one of the things that Sophia taught us on our episode about when puberty doesn't go as expected is that we need to be inclusive of all experiences, including the experiences through puberty and beyond when people don't have all of the organs or they don't have all of the physiology that we expect them to. And often people don't even know that they don't have those organs or those experiences. And what we loved about the conversation between Sophia and Megan is that Megan is her mom, Megan Leahy, who's an amazing parenting coach and human being. They were already in conversation about this stuff. And so they could follow this really challenging road that Sophia was on, not having a uterus because they were discussing this stuff, because they knew the names of body parts, because they were in conversation. So that's just a reminder to all of you who are like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about this now. Talk about it now. Yeah. So let's wrap simply by a quick review without any food involved. (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) Let's just do a quick rundown of the body parts. So we're going to wrap with just a journey from the outside in and up. And this you can practice before you have the conversation with your kid about this. So the vulva is composed of the labia, which has two parts, the labia majora, the big labia, and the labia minora, the small labia. And then there are three holes and an organ that compose the vulva. The clitoris is an organ whose only job is to feel good. And underneath the labia, it has tissue that can become engorged and is like the shape of a wishbone. And then we have the urethra, which is where the pee comes out or the pee hole, as kids like to call it. Then you have the opening to the vagina, the vaginal orifice. And then at the very back, you have the anus. Reminder to tell your children who have vaginas and vulvas that they should wipe from front to back and not back to front to avoid getting anything from the anus into the vagina or into the vulva. We travel up the, see, I'm holding back on using any food analogies. We travel up the vagina. At the top of the vagina is the cervix. And we go through the cervix into the uterus, the closed fist, not the pear, because I'm not using food. And then two dangly arms off the uterus are the fallopian tubes. That is a word that's very hard for kids to remember and pronounce. You're going to have to remind them over and over and out to these lovely little friends called the ovaries. Again, I'm not using food analogies that are small, but contain millions of egg cells that could potentially become about the 400 eggs that will be ovulated in the lifetime of a genetic female. And that's it. Vanessa, that was beautiful. I'm very excited to talk about Analysis XY. <laughs> yes. See you soon. Okay. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myumla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.